You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewinds, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA razzle-dazzle. Now your host, Clifton Bush. Welcome to the NWSL Rewind presented to you by Modern Soccer Coach Education. We are here for week 21. There's only three more weeks of the season left before we hit the playoffs and the picture becomes much, much clearer. We are here to talk about five games uh, in our interview this week with Yael Averbush. Uh, she has returned to speak to us again, and we are we are very, very grateful. She has some wonderful, wonderful insights about uh, the game and how she prepares and how to how to get to that level of preparation. Uh, and, you know, maybe a, a surprise thing or two. So we stay tuned for that for sure. Sierra, how are we doing today? Good, good. Games were good this weekend, so that's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, good games, but no clearer picture on what's happening no. towards the end of the season. <laughs> But uh, good matches, good good football just for the watching, I guess. But uh, yeah. if you're waiting to figure out what on earth is going to happen, for if you're like a playoff person, this was not yeah. your week. No, no, because it has barely like not shifted. <laughs> yeah, like nothing. <laughs> still nothing, close. Yeah, still super <laughs> close. And so we'll, today, there's five games, as I said. What we're going to try and do is since – Sierra is such a uh, North Carolina courage. Oh, Lord. Uh, you know, Homer, <laughs> since she's just been so all over the North Carolina courage, we're going to let Sierra basically stump for North Carolina today <laughs> in the game versus Chicago. And I'm going to talk uh, for Chicago and we'll kind of go back and forth and see, uh, debate who was better on the day <laughs> in the 1 1 draw. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we shall see how that goes. But oh, starting off Wednesday, August 8th, right after we finished recording last week, was an important match for Utah in a 1-0 win over Washington Spirit at home. That game, I mean, obviously we've talked about the importance of all these matches, but for Utah to kind of stay in the hunt, that yeah. late goal by Katie Stengel in the 74th minute really was the difference maker for them remaining in the playoff picture yeah i mean and we've we've talked about it a little bit and i think this game you just see that i felt like utah was clearly the better group um i think offensively for washington you started to see a nice rhythm for them um i know no goals but you're starting to you know with mal being back i mean she didn't play a full 90 minutes um, it's always nice for a fellow Sun Devil to see Callie Farkasen back on the field. Um, oh, 100%. <laughs> um, I, you know, I got to play for, with, with her for a little bit, and so that was nice to see. Um, but, you know, we, we have to keep in mind, I mean, Mal isn't playing full minutes, and so um, I think it was good offensively. Um, again, I think the problem we've talked about consistently is that they were – I still felt like they were too disorganized. 
uh, defensively, and they sat a little bit too deep um, and gave too much space to like Stengel to do anything. And I think that's why, you know, she had a few opportunities and they had a few opportunities. That was just the one they capitalized on. Yeah, I mean, 21 shots for Utah over the day, yeah. 10 in the first half and 11 in the second. Yeah. And I, I still kind of make this point that I didn't feel like it was super threatening the entire time. Uh, I think a lot of those shots, it felt like the game, as the game went closer to that 74th minute like goal, yeah. it, you could feel like it was getting playoff desperate. It was like, yeah. let's just yeah. crack them from wherever we can. Yeah. Let's just, you know, whatever happens, let's just send this ball towards the goal and see if we can't, you know, right. get something out of it. And so to me, like from that standpoint, it just felt a little bit disjointed in like, are we creating building towards yeah. then, you know, taking shots? I mean, Kristen Perez had five shots on her own. Uh, three of them are on target, but, yeah. you know, two of those get blocked. And so, or two block shots, uh, three on target, and two of them were, you know, pretty simple saves. So right. I, I think it's, you just kind of, it felt to me like they were just kind of smacking it towards the towards right. the goal, and you could feel the the emotional like push to like get this victory, yeah. Um, versus Washington. Yeah, and I think I mean I think we you know you start to see I think Washington defensively was disorganized, but I think offensively you start to see I think they looked better. Not necessarily I know they didn't score and the shots weren't the best shots, but they looked a little bit more. Um, connected. They looked like they had a little bit more of a rhythm. They looked um, like they could be a little bit more dangerous. And I think you're right. I think you see from Utah the emotion of like, we have to get a point and we cannot drop this. And so yeah. you kind of, the desperation of you got to, we got to find a way to hit some, hit some, hit some, hit some. One will come. Um, I think came. And then again, against a team that isn't defensively organized, the, the goal came. Um, I think, you know, the question again is going to be against other teams. Are they going to be able to do that? No, probably not. I mean, I think, I think against a better team, I think against a Portland, against a Seattle, against a Chicago, against a North Carolina, that, that game plan may not be functional against a disjointed younger Washington team. It works because I think you get one and you have the pressure and the pressure's on and they feel the pressure. They feel the pressure and eventually because it's not tight back there, you break. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I'll give to Washington is that I felt like they've been just kind of lacking, uh, no pun intended here, in a bit of spirit, you know, like they just seem <laughs> yeah. like they've been lacking just like fight and yep. energy uh, in the past few games. And this one, whether that was, you know, them mentally wanting to kind of try to play spoiler or whatever it was that got right. them going, it felt like Jim Cabrera got his team yep. really actually moving towards something exciting. And I don't know what the thing is that you hold on to at this moment, you know. Right. Um, we've talked about a few options of that. But I, I just, in this particular lineup, this particular day, it felt like there was a little bit more fight in the group uh, just to kind of win battles. I mean, they, they still – Utah definitely was the more physical side. Yes. I think they got a lot closer to, you know, connecting some tackles and, yes. like, winning some 50-50s and actually trying to play a a defensive brand that was at, at, at least not just sluggish. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still don't know how – 
how well this five back system, I think the the five back, three back, whatever you want to call it, is yeah. part of what's pulling so many players yeah. towards their own goal. Yeah. I mean, you talked about like just it was such a low block. Well, it, it's different, difficult. I think Sullivan is obviously the type of player to play low anyway. Right. Um, you know, and then you pull Quinn as a center back for the Canadian national team, and now you have all of a sudden like, everybody has just dropped so far. Yeah. Your five, six, seven players, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. towards towards the 18-yard box as Utah is trying to build. And so that's something, you know, whether or not, you know, there's a change. I would imagine Jim Guevara will ride this to the end of the season just to kind of, you know, keep yep. at it. But whether or not this is the way to get the points, I, I don't know. It seems yeah. a little defensive versus uh, some of the teams out there. Yeah, well, and it's kind of surprising, too, defensively to play like that. I mean, I get it, but you've got firepower up top. Like, why not try to – at this point, you have nothing to lose. And maybe he is just trying to develop that, you know, this is how we're going to play and these are the personnel we're going to play here and we're going we're gonna to figure it out. We're going to work, work through it. Um, but I think, you know, you have such a firepower up front. Why not try and, you know, really – maybe change it up a little bit and really press and really throw something at people. Um, but I think you're right. I think defensively, you know, even though they, I felt like they were disorganized, I think there was a little bit more of a bite to them than we've seen in past games to really keep them in the game. I mean, cause again, it was a goal in the 74th minute or third minute. It's not like they scored, you know, in the first half or even, you know, close into the second. And yeah. they really, it, they really hang, they hung on for a while. And so, I think they made Utah sweat a little bit. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think you can look at the reaction of the bench yeah, <laughs> when yeah. that goal goes in and, yeah. and know that that goal was a massive, massive yeah. victory for them on, on that day. Yeah. But uh, as soon as things went up for Utah, they went right back down. <laughs> um, and so we'll, 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 like we said, we talk, we'll talk about the Chicago game here in a moment. But Utah then picks up their next match versus Seattle at the weekend uh, in a 1-0 loss. And that means, I believe, Seattle got the better of them in two games. Two wins yeah. and one tie yeah. on the series. Mm-hmm. So no wins for Laura Harvey versus her old club. Um, yep. I'm sure is a narrative for everybody <laughs> talking about this league, but yeah. as well as, you know, a narrative for her personally, right. uh, how much emphasis she kind of puts on that. Who knows? But I feel like it seemed like this was a game that they wanted to get. Yeah. And I think, I think you see in the game that I think even Utah had better possession uh, percentage, but I think, you know, you just see Seattle be Seattle. And I think we talked about it kind of when we talked about the playoff run, um, that Seattle's just going to kind of do Seattle. They're going to continue to cruise. They're going to continue to do what they do. And I think you see Rapino and Fishlock be Rapino and Fishlock. I think they stretch the game out. Um, I think they still – I think Utah still had a hard time tracking. I mean, you could say you're going to watch Rapino. And to do it is one thing <laughs> and to actually, you know, like to say it's one thing to do it is another. And I think that, that they struggled with it. I think that you see, you know, you, you know, Rapino's just kind of all over the place, stretching them, getting in behind, finding gaps. Um, and then once she's doing that, you have to also, by the way, worry about Fishlock, who's even, you know, is that as dangerous to worry about as well. And in the end, they, they lost track of her. And I think Oyster plays a great ball in, um, I think that, you know, 
the keepers off your line a little bit and you're a goalkeeper so you can probably shed a little light on that and yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean <laughs> that's interesting I, I will say this i mean it it's in uh it's an interesting moment to concede i mean you're a few minutes into the second half and you can yep. see the corner uh, and as that corner gets cleared it seemed to me like maybe there was thought process for play the front six for Utah yep. to get themselves up in an advanced position mm-hmm. versus dealing with the defensive play that was happening, that was developing, right? Because right. there was very, very little pressure on Oyster in her service yep. um, to speak uh, of, <laughs> which is, I mean, and that's, it's, you'll, if you listen to the interview with the IL, um, she actually kind of goes over the game and goal for us. I mean, I think you're talking about a center back who's now played in a final service right. ball into the box. So, right. I mean, how much of that is something that's in Oyster's wheelhouse right. to do? So, I mean, a bit of pressure may have helped solve that problem. And it's the right. first goal for Fishlock at all. Yeah. Like the, I mean, it's yeah. her first goal. Yeah. So, how much in that defensive transition, like you're talking about, is like Abby Smith is pressed forward. Uh, you know, there right. wasn't a whole lot to cover Fishlock on the regain. Yep. And so it just, for me, it was maybe a little too much like we've got to go get this W yep. and not necessarily play to play, play to right. play, um, right. moving. And so, I mean, that's it's a gut wrencher, though, to give up on a set. <laughs> I mean, you know, to give up on a set play like that. They gave up the yeah. last one on a set play yep. to Megan Rapino. Um, off a header so I mean those things are have got to be tough to deal with when you keep giving up goals to good teams the same way every time Um, and it it seems to me like that was you know I I, in three games and three games in a week you know if this was seven weeks ago right you'd be talking about like well fine you got you know six points out of nine we'd be like yeah that's great but this game could have put them in a little yeah, in a bit different better. spot. Yeah, I think it's this game was probably the equivalent to the Chicago North Carolina game. It's like Absolutely. if you get a point, you are, you're yeah, helping. Yeah, you set yourself up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that point is is decently important. I mean, it's three games, three you know, in one week. Tough, tough to do. They have right. two goalkeepers. Although, I mean, I feel like Nicole Barnhart has been very very good um yeah in the two games that she's two to three games that she's played recently um mm-hmm. since the smith injury and so that you know it's sometimes you're sticking with your hot hand but right. who knows, you know kind of what her fitness was like or you know if she right. was giving up to it but that's a tough one for then smith to give up yeah <laughs> you know like right. the right. game back and you get this game big time game obviously and then you give up the single goal yeah, uh, that's that's where that's where uh, goalkeeper coaches earn their money, I guess. <laughs> you can go and can you figure out a way to mentally, you know, improve, help your goalkeeper improve from that moment on. Right. Um, I mean, a bunch of little like, and this game just had, I think, just like a bunch of like little storylines. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously it was it seemed press playing in the nine and her post game yep. comments. Check out her post game comments for those of you who are. <laughs> were out there um for sure i mean she played in the nine and yeah. i think she's would prefer to play there it sounds like but this is the first yeah. time she's done it so she's just trying to get a groove trying to work with the rest of the team mm-hmm. um, but how much of that 
then hurt them because it sounds like they didn't really get their game plan out until like the last 15 minutes. And so, and then it was switched the point. Like you could see clearly there was a point where it was, you know, the subs came in and Vegas is in, Scott's in, Stengel's in. And now all of a sudden they were banging 60 yard, you know, (laughs) diagonal balls into the channel. Um, And they were very, very dangerous. So you do have to think if you add another, you know, 75 minutes of that what right. what does the score line it would have opened the game up more too it was such a tight game yeah it was a really tight game and i think you're right i think you kind of you kind of shoot yourself in the foot because it's a little too late and again this is the same situation i think as in you know the washington game i think you're you're at the end and seattle's a good team they're going to hold it together so you you know they're going to be defensively sound they're going to be organized and so you know, for 15 minutes or whatever it is left, something like that, that team's going to hold it together. If you maybe add 20, 30 minutes, all of a sudden now the mental mistakes could come in and creep in. But if you ask Mm. that back line to hold together for 15, that team's going to do it. They're a seasoned team. They're going to do that. And I think if you add, like you said, if you add 20, 30 minutes to that, and all of a sudden maybe it is 45, 60, 70, a mental mistake does happen. <laughs> and what changes the game and how do the how does the result change from that? Yeah, and that's and you're looking at Rodriguez in on the sixty-third minute. Um, yep. you know, Stengel then in on the seventieth minute. So you've kind of got twenty, twenty-five minutes with those two in the game, very important attacking players. Yep. Um, but again, it's a third game, you know, how much can yep. you expect in, in a game that was like a hundred degrees and <laughs> smoke from I right. <laughs> smoke from the fires and all that kind of right. stuff. So it's a tough, yeah. tough day to kind of get all of those players going at the same yep. time. I agree. Uh, Sky Blue, again, almost so close <laughs> yet, so far away. Um, and I'm like, I'm, my heart, I'm just bleeding for Sky Blue to, like, you know, get this right. W and, you know, get take care of their, their season here. Um but alas, a penalty in the 73rd minute. Yes. Uh, Rachel Daly, her brace, and the 2-1 victory over Sky Blue in yeah. Jersey. Uh, thoughts on this game? I think I think you're right. I think it's kind of a heartbreaker. Like I don't I don't know if you would say like either of us are serious Sky Blue fans, um, but it is just one of those things where you watch them and you're like, oh, this is it. This is gonna be the game. They're gonna win. They're gonna take the point. And then they get a handball in the box and you're like, oh, crushing yeah. blow. Like, I think, you know, I do think um, Sky Blue uh, played a very good game. I mean, if you look at it, um, they had the better possession. Um, and I, I think they they looked, in my opinion, even though they gave up two, I think people have to keep in mind the second goal was a handball in the box. Um, and it was an unfortunate one. I mean, it, I don't think it was intentional, but it was clearly a handball. Yeah. Um, and I think that sucks for them. But I felt like they were organized in the back defensively. I felt like their attack, you could really see the pieces starting to really work. I mean, we've seen it, I think, progressively get better, which I think is a good thing for Sky Blue to kind of look at and go, all right, we're not going down the tubes. Like, we're getting better every game. We're just getting unlucky. I mean, like, I feel like they are. They just, you see it, it's going to happen, and then you get a handball. And I think that that just sucks because your momentum shifts and everything goes the other way. Um, and I mean, anybody who's played the game or coached the game, you know that in a moment, literally the whole game could change. And I felt like maybe they were going to get one and then the handball comes and it's just like, it's hard to come back from it. Cause it takes some wind out of your sail. 
Yeah, that's a and it's a it's a game. It's a Carly Lloydless game. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that's always going to be a, a difficult scenario for you as well. I think. Yeah. Um, just kind of you're playing without your, you know, your your top player. I mean, and that's that's always going to be a tough day. I think uh, with with Houston having daily, Houston having Huerta, Houston having Ohio, you yeah. know, and and they've switched it up a little bit. You know, yep. like now they've they've kind of gone to Huerta, more advanced kind of ten role. Yeah. Um, you know, two player, two front runners against um, Sky Blue instead of their typical one or three. Yep. So I think it's it just gave Ojai maybe just slightly more space to run yep. well um, with Latsko and Daly being able to kind of play off of each other a little bit more. And so, yeah. so I mean, that's a dangerous formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it to me, it, it gets all the players on the field in preferred positions that yep. they need, right? Like at the end of the day, you've I think they finally found a, a, a version of this team that could really actually do damage over the course of, you know, an entire season. Prince yeah. and Prince didn't come off the bench, but that's another pacey option that could right. play in that high role that could play in that role that Hanson played. So I think those things are like you, there's a team there for sure. But yeah, yeah I mean, as I'm, I'm a fan of sky blue and that, like, you know, it's such a underdog root for kind of a thing. <laughs> you know, like they just had like, such a tough year of it that you're like, yeah, you don't really want anybody to have that level of a tough year, you know, like, so, um, you know, keep, uh, keep pulling for them as, as they continue with that, but believe three more games. Yeah, I think you're right. Mistaken. Um, and so, you know, from that standpoint, we'll see how they, how they continue. So, yeah. Yeah. The last game before we get to the, to the big one, is Portland 2-0 win over Orlando in Orlando. <laughs> Lindsey Horan scores yet another yep. um, from from a cross as well. Yep. <laughs> I mean, like it just, Same story, different game. trying to figure out how, uh, <laughs> how we're going to get marking Lindsey Horan here. Um, right. and then Haley Rasso puts the game away um, yep. in the 53rd because it just for me didn't look like um, Orlando was going to be able to surmount a you know a two goal win on that no. day. Right. Well, I think I mean this is an interesting game because I think you watch Orlando and I think the first half you feel both of the teams are pretty even. I mean, I think balls are hitting off crossbars and posts and they're barely getting this way, barely going that way. There's chances here, there's chances there. Um, you know, people are making good defensive plays on both sides. And then the second half happens. <laughs> and yeah. I think you, you get to the second half and it's a completely different game. And I think Portland opens it up, um, you know, and I think you're right. You know, how do you, how do you mark Haran? I mean, I think people are struggling and I think each team, you can kind of point certain teams out. It's the Rapino of Seattle. It's, it's, um, you know, McDonald's Williamson of, North Carolina it's you know I mean how do you figure out how to deal with Haran and I think she just finds a way she is a goal scorer because she just wants to score and I think you know you you find players I mean yes every forward wants to score but she really wants to score I mean she will throw anything and everything in front of a bus to get a goal and I think you see that from her every time she plays 
Um, and I think, you know, the one thing I think would be, would have been interesting is I think in like the 57th minute, um, Obagogo score had a service back post and it was in front of Alex Morgan. And I think everyone was like, Oh, you know, so close. And I'm like, my question would be is, and this is, I mean, I don't know how anybody can answer. You can answer. If LaRue was on that, do you think she scores it? <laughs> oh, that's a, yeah. I mean. <laughs> because yeah. I don't think it was, it, it, I personally don't think it was that far away from her. I think if she dives, like LaRue scored a couple goals like that. If she yeah. dives and throws everything at that, that maybe is a goal. Or at least it's on target. Yeah, and you're making – yeah, I mean, like, that's – this is a – I mean, and I I wouldn't know the answer to that either, yeah. but I think, Mike, I guess, you know, there's no LaRue available in the 18. Yep. Uh, you know, and for me, I think the, the person that is – the person who could have done that if it's not LaRue in the 18 is Rachel Hill. Um, yep. And so for me, like that would be my next bet would mm-hmm. be like, okay, now we're how many ever goal, you know, we go a goal down. We know yep. we're going to need to, you know, pick it up. It's like, can I get Rachel Hill on the pitch as yep. soon as possible yep. to give her, you know, I mean, I, and this would just be my guess, but if you had to do some math on like number of goals scored, versus number of minutes played like right, right. you know what I mean like Rachel Hill has got to be pretty up there I would say like she just hasn't played a ton yeah. but has you know she's like three or four goals this year so you're I mean you're talking about Lindsay Horan's on 11 like right. that's instant and Lindsay Horan has played you know all year so it's right it's such a it's such an interesting you know deal with Hill having Hill on your bench yeah um, I mean she's been a great bench player don't get me wrong it's not I mean I wouldn't necessarily whether or not Thompson money starts her or not is a whole other thing. But right. in that moment, without a LaRue in the lineup, yep. you know, I think Rachel Hill is probably my would probably be my next next bet. Yeah. Well, I think I mean you think I mean I not that their attack was poor, not that Orlando's was, but I think you almost get into a spot where Portland defensively is is organized. They they they've always been organized. I think we've talked about it throughout the season. They've done a good job of being a collective, organized unit defensively and getting numbers behind the ball and then transitioning and going into the attack. But I think with Orlando, you kind of get into a lull almost where like I think Larue and I think Hill are unpredictable in the yeah. sense that like. You know what Marta's gonna do. Not that, not that, not that you're gonna know how to defend it all the time because she's such a good player. But like defensively, Portland is a seasoned team. Like they know what Marta's gonna bring. They know what Alex Morgan is gonna bring. I mean, and I think and Obagavu, I think they know what's coming. If you throw a hill in, it's like, oh crap. I had to watch all these. And essentially, you kind of almost move it. You move her down on the totem pole. You're like, well, you know, Marta, Alex Morgan, Ubagugu, they're all but not – I don't want to say it offensively, but they're better players. You go to Hill and you're kind of like, well, I mean, we just need to watch these three and she'll just – we'll figure her out. And the problem is is people don't figure her out. She, she wanders and she finds gaps and she scores goals. So yeah. I think you're right. The question is is that, you know, in that moment of – we're down to zero and we're not finding, I mean, no offense, 
Marta, Alex Morgan, Ubagu, you're not finding a goal. So can we put someone in like a hill? It's not, I don't think it would have hurt anything. <laughs> so. No, I mean, no, not, not at all. I mean, and she ultimately, she goes in the game and actually, you know, she was, she was dangerous, decently threatening, right? I yes. mean, for, for an Orlando side that struggled yep. in the second half to find kind of an offensive rhythm. She right. was a player who had a bit of a bite at the front end of the of the game. Right. So I mean that's a you know, those are all the coaching decisions that get made, right? It's like when do yeah. you when do you make those calls and when and, right. you know, and she's it's two nil down by the time she gets in the game. So you're yeah. you it's know, hard it's for her to get hard, momentum. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a difficult momentum getter. I, I mean, and that's you also have a team that's Portland has gone kind of early in the season from three back to four. You know, they've gone from mm-hmm. like a three five two to like a four three three. And mm-hmm. Orlando's done the exact opposite. They've gone kind of from a four three three, four four two to a three back system. And so yep. who has it seems to me like Portland has adapted into their new system. Yeah. Better than Orlando has adapted into their new system. Yep. Oh, and then so I mean like those are those are kind of the nuances. I think it's easier maybe to go from one to the other. We're watching right. Washington do this thing. Right? Yeah, We're watching yeah. Washington play in a three back that is felt very, very new to them. Right. And so I think easier maybe to transition the other way uh, as uh, Mark Parsons has done. It also yeah. helps that I think, I mean, AD French is just. Oh, I mean, she's I had know. an amazing game. Amazing yeah. I mean, game. it's, if she wasn't injured for that stretch, right? Like I think, I think for me, the clear goalkeeper of the year is Alyssa Nair. Um, yes, I, I don't think that there's any question about that. Right. There might you could you could make an argument with me, and I wouldn't think you were crazy if AD hadn't been injured for that huge stretch, right? So like, yep. if if she had been doing this the entire time, then maybe yep. I I would entertain that kind of a conversation. But she was right. so. I mean, that's how many points, you know, could have been gained just by, you know, I right. mean, like, I think you're probably four, four points above where they are if AD yes. is healthy the whole year. She's yeah. just been that good that she puts, you know, she puts more points on the, on the table for Portland. I mean, she was so good. It was unreal. And I think, I mean, I think you're right. It's like, the question is, is like, if she isn't hurt that stretch, like, where do they like land? Do they, you know, are they maybe second? You know, are they, I mean, you know, it just, it's crazy to think that that, you know, that what, you know, one individual, that goalkeeper could make that much of a difference. And I do think she, I mean, she changes this game around. Like, I mean, she's the difference in this match. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's two zero because she keeps it at two zero. And I think too, you've got, you know, those people who play in front of goalkeepers, especially, you know, center backs, outside backs, like they understand the momentum change when your goalkeeper makes killer saves i mean it literally switches it, you know it, you hit a switch in your brain as a defender when your goalkeeper makes brilliant saves and i think she does that all the time and I, she did it in the game oh, yeah. i mean consistently she she makes these saves and it's like whoa we got to get it together here we go <laughs> and clearly like sonnet and mingus are are top center backs and that's not yep. a, and then Klingenberg obviously has been you know she's been at the top of her not maybe right now, but we right. know what her what Klingenberg's ceiling is. Yeah. But having AD French in there means <laughs> that Carpenter and um, Purse 
can both play on the back line and be so young and not quite have like the pro level experience that they have, you know, that, that you would like out of your kind of starting right back, you know, right. Those defensive positions are tough. I mean, like that's Carpenter going with Marta, going with the Bagagoo, yeah. going with Penegman, like you know what I mean, going with right. Morgan. Like that's who she has to deal with. Right. And she's so young. So it's like, but it doesn't matter that much Mm-mm. because AD French will basically cover whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like whatever cover. kind of rookie <laughs> mistakes get made, yeah. AD French will make you look really good. Right. Right. I agree. I, she's just so fun to watch. I mean, you know, goalkeepers, yeah, I don't think get enough credit thing, right? and yeah. she's so fun. She, uh, yeah. Right. Like she <laughs> has, she has the flair of a striker yes. with gloves on, right? Yes. Like, a lot of goalkeepers are, they're just really methodical and they're very good. National Harris is kind of this, you know, like you have kind of, of methodical goalkeepers that just do their work and they're very, very good at it. Saves are great, whatever. But you just see the emotion on her. <laughs> and like you just love the the emotion yeah. that AD brings to the game. And who yeah. wouldn't want to play with that or have that person playing for them or be in a right. stadium and watch her do her thing. Right. I agree. She she's just I think she's a fun fun player to watch. She might be in the top top group, not even of just goalkeepers, but just in players. Yeah, it's a oh, absolutely. I would a hundred percent be like, you know if I had to make a list of players that I just would want to watch in the league, you know, you're, yeah. you, you have your Rapinos, your, you know, your Lynn Williams, your Crystal Dunn's, right. you know, your Sam Kerr's, but, and all of those people I just mentioned are all goal scorers. And I think, yeah. you know, you'd be like, yeah, AD French. Yeah, bang, thank you. Right there. Yeah. It's the top of the list. So, Absolutely. and that's coming from a GK. I, I feel like, I feel bad that I named four strikers and one goalkeeper, but I guess, uh, have to rethink I, about my, my goalkeeping union. So here we go. Battle Royale. Oh, Chicago Lord. Red Stars versus Sierra's North Carolina Courage. <laughs> um, I, I think it, at some point in time, Paul Riley's just going to have to put you on the staff. Like, just That's to, fine. Just because you you have repped them so much all year. I and I think, you know, uh, what can I say? What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> so, I Sierra clearly is going to make the claim that North Carolina was better on the day. Um, I, I, are you sure about that? I, okay, uh, why don't I ask you? Who who did you think was better on the day in this one one draw uh, in Chicago? Uh, well, I feel Just like saying. I would say I would say <laughs> North Carolina is better. However. I would say I think I think the result is fair for what the performance both teams brought on the day. Like I think, and we'll get into obviously you know the goals and all that stuff. And there were two goals that potentially could have been goals on either side. Um, and I think just based off of you know defensive effort on both sides and offensive effort on both sides and transition moments and all the everything in between, I think the result is fair. I think that. Um, you know, I do like, I think North Carolina is such a dominant team, but we talked about it last week. Chicago is the team that figures them out. Like they have got the game plan that can figure them out. And so I think it was, it was a good game to watch. Like, I think it was just a fun game. Like it was two teams, you know, one that really doesn't need the point And we were kind of curious to what they were going to do. And one that really needs a point. 
and was battling for the point. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I and I would I would make the. I'm not big on the like tail of two halves sort of a thing, but right. in this particular instance, absolutely, it felt like the pressure that North Carolina typically places on a team was clearly there in the first half. Yep. And Chicago did a decent enough job at not making those moments like, you know, bang aha moments for North Carolina. Yep. But in the second half, there I don't think there were nearly enough moments like we typically see from North Carolina. And I think that was yep. all down to just the the level of defensive pressure, but the, also the compact shape that Chicago yep. put in. Uh, they they funneled it into bad areas. Uh, right. You know, they forced your longer play uh, that, you know, North Carolina kind of had to play from deeper uh, yep. in the second half. And so I felt like that to me was a difference in kind of the two – how Chicago looked yeah. better in the second half. I, I think this game was hinged on how Chicago was doing personally, yes. not hinged on how North Carolina was doing. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think you're right about like in the first half, if you watch like they're out. So North Carolina's outside backs are just dangerous. I mean, we all know that they like to get forward. They like to essentially play like midfielders and apparently North Carolina wants to play with two in the back. Um, but they like to go forward. They like to really push. And I think it's most coaches dreams that their outside backs just go and they're dangerous. They're not even, it's one of those things where it's not like we just, they just send their outside backs up and it's like, Oh, they're just going to go up. Like they're dangerous. I mean, Matthias and Hinkle are super dangerous. They can serve a wall. They can strike a ball. They can get end line and get a corner. Um, they can combine with their midfielders and then get it into the attack. I mean, that's how their goal essentially was developed. I mean, Matthias plays it into the midfield, and the midfielders, we go from there. And, I mean, so you start to see a rhythm when they're involved, and I think Chicago does a good job of not letting them go as much as they want. So in the second half, I think it shifts. And not that they didn't go forward, but you start to see a little bit more reservation. Hinkle's not going all the way to the end line every play. Matthias isn't going to the end line every play. I think you start to see that, you know, they have to be a little bit more weary. They have to watch the Sam Kerrs. They have to, they have to start to kind of keep an eye on Di Bernardo. They have to, I mean, they've got to really understand because the deep, the goal comes from, I mean, quick play from Di Bernardo, a little cheeky play, and then a service into Sam Kerr who's free essentially. And I think that that was all off of, you know, I just think that they do a good job in that second half of really making a little bit more of a threat offensively Chicago does, and then shutting down the idea that those two outside backs can really join the attack as often as they want to. Yeah. I mean, if, if I kind of, I think one easy thing to do is to almost like kind of cut it into thirds, you know, yep. it's like the first 30 minutes of the game. I thought was very much North Carolina yep. imposing not just the possession, um, but they were actually able to pin, like you're saying, they were able to pin Chicago back a little bit and capitalize on flank play. Like that's yep. what's the most, it, it's, it's not just the outside backs. It's also crystal Dunn. It's also, yep. you know what I mean? It's also Lynn Williams. 
like the level of flank play in that first 30 minutes for North Carolina was was very good. Yeah. Um, but it, it was almost in that first 30 minutes, you also almost have a goal. You know, Colaprico almost puts one right uh-huh. in the net from from a corner kick. Um, yep. And so you're you know you're a Caitlin Rowland save away from going one down right. in the ninth minute. You know, so right. In turnabout's fair, fair play, yeah, the same basically the same play happens like four <laughs> minutes later on the right. other side, and Alyssa right. Nair makes a save. But I think that's that would be more expected. People, more people, would be like, "Oh right. yeah, that was you know." So I feel like the Colaprico corner kick was almost like just a quick shot out the gate. Like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. hold on, what is this game going to be about? Right. The second thirty. So you know, from thirty to sixty. Um, you've got a game that I think was really just feeling people out. Yep. So the halftime, the last 15 minutes, I think was settled in for North Carolina. Chicago was like, let's get to the half. Yep. That last 15 minutes of the first half. And then the second 15, the 15 minutes, first 15 minutes of the second half. Now you look at this game as, okay, coming out of halftime, what have the changes been made? Right. And, Clearly, it seemed to me that Chicago was trying to be more aggressive in yeah. the press yep. as well as in more aggressive in the counter. Yes. So now we're, we're playing the ball forward. Obviously, we're playing into Sam Kerr all the time. I mean, like, yeah. that's just going to be the thing. But Morgan Bryan was able to get on a ball and be yep. super effective. I mean, she hit one off the post in the yep. 60th minute. So like yeah. right as like you could feel that 15 minutes happen yep. like they were getting on the front foot because Morgan Bryan was able to actually drive into spaces with the ball. She was able to combine a little bit more um you know with Colaprico. She was able to use DiBernardo who by the way like her flank play turned into right, <laughs> amazing right. relevance. You know like so now you've got players who are on the opposite side behind getting in behind. And so it felt to me like it was a, a much better combination for Chicago. Right. right. Um, I mean, those are, and as well, I think Casey short kind of, I think she struggled in the first 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, I think she kind of tried, whether that was, you know, you're dealing with Lynn Williams and McDonald, both kind of yeah. hugging your side, you're dealing with <laughs> Matthias coming down here. Like it felt like she was maybe just a, step off of North Carolina right. in the first 30 and was much more solid in the second 30. And I actually thought she was really aggressive in the third 30. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. she was getting high, so high yeah. in the third yeah. 30 minutes after the game was tied that it, it felt she was the one who was like driving, let's get another goal. She was being so right. aggressive on the attack that it almost, I was watching it going, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Right. Right. Where is the line of like, hey, let's maybe rein her back in? um, (laughs) Like you know, like I was kind of even I was a little bit nervous about it. Right. Well, I think, and I think you know we've talked about it um, previously, and I think my my biggest concern slash question mark, I guess if you will, with North Carolina is because I think they're so dominant and they're so good. They're top of the league. They're going to get number one seed, period, end of story. No one's catching them. But, like, what do we – you know, how do they go from here? Are they going to continue to play 
Dunn the amount of minutes, McDonald the amount of minutes, Williams the amount of minutes, Hinkle the amount of minutes. I mean, are they going to continue to play these players as often and as much as they're playing them? You know, Dabinia, I mean, it, it starts to, you start to kind of think like, uh, you guys don't need these points like that badly. You kind of need to rest bodies. Like, <laughs> let's not burn everybody out before the playoffs. And I think that's where you kind of start to get concerned. Like, Chicago's got to play everybody because Chicago needs points. Like, period, end of story. They're in a situation where every point matters. A tie, a win, everything. But North Carolina's in a completely opposite position where it's like, can we, you know, can you rotate people in? Can you start to find, you know, can we get subs minutes? Can you start to do that kind of thing instead of, and I mean, that was the question we had last week is like, okay, what are they going to do? Are they going to come out and play, you know, done 90 minutes or are they going to like rain it back a little bit? And it was like, oh, okay, we're going to play everybody the same, yeah, <laughs> same amount. <laughs> the rotation, the rotation is not, I mean, Dabinia has been subbing and McDonald's been subbing all year like those yep. have basically been two of the three subs on yep. occasion when Mewis starts she has subbed um yep. you know Zerboni didn't play I mean so nope. that's so that's one like that's one that good one that rotation keep... right yeah, you know I mean? so you're, you're talking about like that is one indication that there's right. some rotation happening right but they they have three games and they play three games in successive Saturdays um, yeah. versus like, you know, so they are home to Orlando, right. away to Seattle, home to Houston. So they have no midweek games. Their schedule isn't a problem. So for me, like I would normally, I think I would probably be the kind of coach who would be like, yeah, it's time to start rotating people and resting just right. everybody. Right. Um, just watching Paul Riley and the North Carolina courage, like kind of on social media from afar. Yeah, I feel like I'm coming around to kind of, you know, this no finish line kind of a concept, you know, where right. it's like every game is right. It's it's hard to one thing that I talked to Yael about was like, are you actually looking down the line at like we need X many points and X many games or right. are you really on a one game at a time mentality? Right. Um, and she was like, we basically kind of have to do both. Yep. <laughs> and right. so which is fair. But I think North Carolina literally shows us that they are playing one game, one at, a game at a time. Yep. Like, I don't think that they, you know, now I don't think they care about Seattle. I don't no. think they're focusing on that at all. Nope. I think they're looking at Orlando and yep. they're trying to get three points versus Orlando. So what is the right. best of left play? Who's going to come on and make a spark? Who's going right. to get us the victories right. that we need? And so I'm starting to maybe come around to how that's working. Right. Uh, I still, you know, I'm on this game versus Chicago. It seemed like maybe there was a little bit of like self-correcting, uh, yeah. Because it it really was pretty autopilot. Like I said, that middle right. thirty minutes, North Carolina seemed a little bit on autopilot. Then the yep. equalizer happens, and now all of a sudden the game is like wide yeah, like, open. Wait, whoa. Sam Kerr is getting forward. Like everybody right. is like back and forth, huge. Right. Um, and so. You know, then you have the goal disallowed. Um, <laughs> you know, the goal disallowed on one end, right. um, for which no. Sierra says is not uh, about. Mm, oh. <laughs> 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 so, there it is. There it is, folks. Exactly what you um, and then you have the PK. Uh, you know, that was dispute. 
yep. <laughs> on Sam Kerr um, in 90 plus three. And yep. Sierra also says that that is what? I don't think it's a PK, but there I can absolutely see go. it going either way. Like I, think I, I, we, I felt like it was a penalty. We I see, mean, and that's what we talked about. Um, you know, we, you know, Clifton and I talked about it earlier, and I think that's where I was saying, like, I think the game was so even because I think that goal that was taken away from North Carolina could be called either way. You have a different ref on a different day. That's a goal. And I think on the same end with Sam Kerr, you have a different rep on a different day. That's a PK. And so I think that was just the – I think that's what you're talking about in that third momentum shift. It's like yeah. they get scored on and it's like, holy crap, and now all of a sudden we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it's like one goal. Oh, gosh, one should have been a goal. And now we're seeing more offensive pressure, more, more fight to go forward. Um, and I think that's where it's like – you know, that game could have easily gone 1-1, 2-2, 2-1, uh, Chicago, 2-1, North Carolina. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was a very, very even, very back and forth. I, I, I thought, I mean, I just thought, I felt like Morgan Bryan, Colaprico, yeah. uh, Nagasato, like those players were a better version of themselves than they've been all year. Yeah. Uh, and then you pair that with Julie Ertz and Katie Naughton, who has, you know, Katie Naughton is getting all the undulation that, you know, mm-hmm. certainly she deserves. But I think yeah. part of that comes from having somebody like Julie Ertz playing next to you. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I know that people were really saying all those things about Katie Naughton when she was playing with Sam Johnson, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't right. like, Katie Naughton is, you know, the defender of the year sort of a thing until Ertz got there and maybe just made everything a little bit calmer. Yeah. Um, she just sees the pictures maybe a little bit better. Um, right. And now you can see that Katie Naughton can be herself as a defender. And yeah. so for me, like, that's that pairing was on the day. And, you know, North Carolina fans will probably – not be so happy for him because Ersig and Dahl Kemper have been a an amazing center back pair. I thought yeah. the center back pairing for Chicago was better yeah. um, on that day than the center back pairing for North Carolina, which is a massive, massive thing for Chicago. Absolutely. I agree. And it, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, I think that game to me was a playoff game. Like it felt like that. Like it just felt, um, it felt very intense and very, you know, I think the question comes, you know, if that is a playoff game, obviously Zabroni's in, Um, you know, and how does that game change with Zabroni in? Does it? You know, I mean, I think Chicago does a good job of, like I said, I think they're one of the only teams that have really figured out North Carolina at times. Sort of Utah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, we're not counting that game. Um, (laughs) But I think think Chicago for an overall from 90 minutes, from zero to 90, has a good good flow of figuring out North Carolina. Um, And I think the question becomes is like, if Zabroni's in there in that game on that day, you know, or if that's a playoff game, you know, how does that change North Carolina's game? And do they, I mean, cause I, you know, everyone will know that Zabroni will change a game. And so the question becomes is what, what does that picture look like with her in? And now all of a sudden they have to win the game or else they're done. 
you know, does it change anything, you know, on their end? Do they, do they come out with a 2-1 win against the Chicago? I mean, that's, I think, the thing that, you know, is so interesting and is good about the league is because we do have such a neck-and-neck unpredictability with teams because, I mean, most people would be like, well, no, no, Chicago's not going to be able to stay with North Carolina. And then you watch this game and you're like, oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would say it's, it's my guess. My guess is that you're going to get a chance to see exactly what you're talking about. I think yep. at the end of the day, my and, I, and I've yet to kind of predict anything, but I, it looks to me like the math says Chicago probably in fourth place uh, going yep. to North Carolina to play in the semifinals. Portland yep. and Seattle, Seattle in the two and the three. Yep. Who's in the two? Who's in the three? It, I mean, is non really consequential I would say at this right. point but you've I think that's kind of how the math says to me it's going to look Orlando just don't seem to have enough points Mm-mm. left in order to well because they've got to play North Carolina I mean they've they have got- to play North Carolina and they have to play Chicago so it's like right. it's so if Chicago keeps rolling downhill and Orlando's right. had Chicago's number so it's yep. possible but they've got to get those points plus points against North Carolina. Yep. Like in Chicago still has three extra games besides for those two. So it's like, yep. you know, I think it's, I think mathematically it's going to be hard for Orlando to yep. get enough points in the few number of games that they have left right. in order to keep themselves in playoff position. So, so you heard that Clifton just predicted that Chicago I, is going to be four and Orlando. I know, I know. I was <laughs> trying to avoid we been trying to avoid the the prediction situation, but uh, I mean, <laughs> quote him, tweet him. Yeah, and- it's 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 a hard one because I mean, I still, I mean, I, I think the game comes down to here's here's my caveat. I'm going to give myself an out here. I do think <laughs> the game points wise will come down to Chicago versus Utah. Yep. On who's going to get in? So I now I, I think both. It looks to me like. Chicago will be sitting on 35 points, uh, Utah sitting on 34. If yep. everything goes according to, you know, fatum, I guess, as it were, <laughs> um, that's how it would play. 34 yeah. points for Utah, 35 for Chicago. A tie gets Chicago in, a win by Utah puts them in. And I yep. think that that's, that's going to be my one out. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, Orlando, just need a few <laughs> more games. But I mean, it's you know, if Orlando beats North Carolina, if it's Orlando over. beats North Carolina and beats uh, yeah, and beats Chicago, that's a wrap. I mean, like that's it's set, right? Like so, the whole right. the whole point is set at that point. If Orlando gets two victories, it's over. So I mean, there's everything to play for. I just it just kind of feels like maybe that's how it goes. So yeah. I gave myself two. Hours. That was <laughs> but I gave myself two outs there. So. <laughs> Stay tuned for sure. Stay tuned for our interview with Yael, uh, our second one. Um, She's great. We love having her here. Um, She has amazing, amazing things to say all the time. So definitely stay tuned for that. And then we're back next week uh, with maybe a clearer picture. Maybe not. We'll see. So stay tuned (laughs) for sure. We'll see you all very, very soon.
You have found us here at the NWSL Rewind interview portion. We are back with round two with Yael Averbush. We have convinced her to return to us and uh, give us more thoughts on what's happening, especially as the race for the playoffs is heating up wildly. And the Seattle rain has what seems like almost kind of taken over that second spot. They seems like it's pretty well in hand. Uh, those of you who will be listening, the match Seattle versus Utah is actually just completed as we are getting ready to have our conversation right now. So Yael is, I'm sure, uh, elated and doing pretty well, having a good afternoon. So how you doing, Yael? Yeah, much better now that the game is over and we were able to hold on to the one nothing result. Those last uh, the eight minutes of uh, stoppage time added there caused me a little stress. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh... I mean, with two two weather breaks or the heat breaks, um, plus just regular stoppage, eight minutes, it just seemed like that was a bit of an eternity. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it definitely had to do with the water breaks, which were important because I heard um, from not just on the broadcast, but we had heard even uh, prior to the team traveling there that it was going to be brutally hot. So I think uh, I th- I'm sure the players appreciated the eight minutes at the end with the extra breaks. It was just tough as a... Um, a bystander watching to to get through those eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, those are it, and you have to kind of walk me through a little bit because I I had to actually go like work with my team, so I caught the whole first half. Had to go work with my team, and I actually missed the goal, so so I, ha- I literally have not seen it. So do do me a favor, maybe not everybody else, but at least do me a favor and like how what was the goal that. Uh, put Seattle ahead today. Yeah, so I'd have to watch, to, to give you the full build-up picture, I would have to watch it again myself, but it ended up being um, Megan Oyster, her center back, was the one who sent in a beautiful cross into the box, and something you know we've talked about as a team a lot uh, is getting numbers into the box and getting those aggressive runs forward into the box, and I think I would have to look again, there were maybe like, there were at least three runs being made in there and then Jess Fishlock got on the end of it a really quality header directed on goal with power Uh, so I actually didn't realize that that was her first goal of the season you know they announced it as that and she was super excited but just because of how immense her contribution always is it it shocked me to realize that that was actually the first she's put in the back of the net but uh, just I think really um, a, a quality goal great crossing and finishing which is something we work on but also just uh, so important that we have goals coming from multiple places. I think yeah. that's always a sign of a great team. You want your leading goal scorer too to have, you know, the the high numbers and the stats and be up there on the high scoring list. But you want goals to be able to come from the midfield, even the back. So uh, really important goal for the team, but also great job on the cross and finish. And as I mean, just tactically, without uh, maybe giving away the farm a bit here, but it, it's. I mean, are you working a lot of center back play in like final, you know, final pass from center backs? I mean, that seems it's such a, you know, I mean, it's a finite kind of a position to get yourself into is <laughs> like if you're having center backs advance up the field and make final plays or is that just something that maybe she looked up and saw the, the opportunity to play a ball? Yeah, I mean, that's not something we specifically work on, the center backs getting in, like, crossing situations in wide areas. But, <laughs> but I would say that the way that Vlaco uh, approaches 
play is that everyone on the field is a soccer player. So if you find yourself in a spot, you got to know how to do that role. You got to, you know, everyone needs to be able to cross the ball well with both feet. Everyone, you know, center backs, if you see space, you better take the ball forward and dribble. Why not? If you, you know, if you get in this position to make a final pass, a little like slip ball through to a forward, that's your responsibility as well. And similarly, the forwards are expected to defend. So I think there's kind of, I mean, it would be expected that anyone in that spot would be able to, you know, figure out what to do there, but definitely not plan that uh, Megan Oyster would be up in that area, but she did a great job and, um, you know, played it in a beautiful cross. So um, I wouldn't say it was like a specific tactical play, but uh, but it would be expected that, you know, wherever you find yourself, you got to do the job. Yeah. So now we're all the scouting reports are, are putting Megan Oyster out in the wide areas trying yeah. to. <laughs> make sure to to cover her uh, her flank play so maybe not everybody who's out there listening you know maybe that's uh, was a one off but yeah i mean it's it goes to i guess just philosophy and coaching on some level of like are you building specific players in specific roles with very finite jobs and your your four and your five their job as center backs is to you know occupy 20 30 yards and defensively cover and be a screen or are you building footballers in a more global scale and everybody has to be able to make a final pass and everybody has to be able to defend and everybody has to be able to be good 1v1 or in the air or whatever it may be. It's just kind of philosophically different, I think, for, for coaches around the globe. Yeah, and I think, I mean, realistically, I think a good team, you have to do both. Like, you have to have specialized, uh, you know, we we a lot of times break up um, at least every couple of weeks. We actually break up and don't train as a team. It's the defenders do their own session, midfielders and attackers, because there's very specialized skills that you have to get repetition in during the season. Um so there is a lot of time spent on, yeah, th those specializations and like specific moments that a center back may face or an outside back may face that not everyone needs to train at, but the center back better be able to execute when they're there. But at the same time, you know, we play a lot of small sided and in general, Vlatko likes soccer players who think the game, feel the game. So um, there's definitely a balance and I'm sure certain coaches err on one side of it or the other. Um, so it's not like completely free flowing where everyone's expected to do everything, but um, it would be expected that if you find yourself in a different spot in the field, you've seen enough video and practiced enough yeah. technique that you um, have some idea what to do. You're paying attention enough when uh, coach was talking to the yeah. you know left left forward or left midfielder or whatever. You were actually paying attention enough to go, yeah. oh yeah, I, I could actually execute that if I needed to. Yeah, I mean that's going to the functional training point. I think it's just such a that is an underutilized coaching technique. I think a lot of times, especially the in development phases is like, are you, and whether or not that means players need to be involved in multiple levels of functional training, what maybe as a young player, you're not necessarily being specified as a defender or midfielder or whatever, but you do need functional opportunities over the course of your development to get better at those repetitive moments moment in the game. For sure. And I think Vlatko is one of the, uh, like probably hands down the best I've ever seen that he will analyze video to the point where the functional sessions he uh, sets up are specific to scenarios that have occurred in a game that he wants to fix or he wants to make sure mm. are executed better next time or that he notices happen a lot and that we've done okay at, but we just need to keep getting repetition. So they're, 
very, very thought through and planned out. It's not just like, oh, center backs usually receive the ball here. No, he's watched a, one clip of a video where a center back did X, Y, and Z, and he wants to tweak it a little bit, and then the, everyone will practice repetition of that. Or similarly, the forwards, there'll be a certain type of run and final pass that maybe like occurred in the game that we didn't score on that, that then we'll practice um, or they'll practice, I should say, now that I'm, well, one, I'm not even really in training because I've been sick, but also I'm a, now I have to remember I'm a defender. Every time I say we as the attacking players, I'm like, oh no, it's not me. <laughs> um, but yeah, they'll, they'll practice something so specific that he either has seen in a past game or thinks may occur in the game, uh, the upcoming game. So it's not just functional, like forwards in general need to be able to do this. It's so, so specific to like a literal moment that has occurred or may occur. Do you find that those moments are plays that are maybe you've the team has failed to execute in a, or is it more stuff that we like it's strengths? Like we're trying to build more repetition into, you know, Spencer is able to do this thing. So we functionally need to be able to train because she has these strengths, or is it more moments that we're in a game and it's like, well, we really needed, this is where the play should have gone and we weren't able to capitalize. Uh, I think it's a combination, a pretty good combination. It's stuff that's happened that's like, okay, we know this is something we can take advantage of. Uh, so we're going to practice it and make it better, like you said. And then it's something where maybe like, yeah, we messed it up. And it's like, okay, well, next time it happens, we're not going to mess it up. So I know, especially as defenders, a lot of times, um, we'll be doing a drill or doing repetitions of a very specific movement and clearance or whatever it is, a first touch in a certain way. And there'll be a thought process behind it that he explains. And then like after the session, we'll realize Vlaco will have some idea of like, three years ago, Becky Sauerbrunn faced this exact scenario and it resulted in whatever it resulted. And that's why we're training it. And I'm like, wow, that is, I mean, I already believed in it and was practicing it and it was worthwhile, but it's just like he has really thought into it and has a, very very it's almost like a photographic memory for these moments that like 99.9 percent .9 of people watching a game or who know the league would like never have a, probably even the players involved don't even have any idea um but they happen and the ironic thing i always joke with him is that whenever i'd be involved in those sessions whatever we'd practice in the next game or two would happen to me and i always mess it up because like in my head i'd be like oh this is the one we practiced and then like i would i mean it takes months and months and years to like make sure you can do it 10 out of 10 times so even if i could do it eight out of ten it would like be the one the other two would happen in the game and i was like shoot we practiced that but uh but it's pretty it's a pretty cool feeling to work on something in training that seems a little bit uh maybe even random or arbitrary but then you actually feel it happen in the game and are like whoa i practiced that moment so now i'm prepared to recognize the moment and execute it in the way in which our team has decided we're going to do it. Uh, so it's as a player, it's it's really uh, it feels really rewarding to be able to work on something that so directly translates, even if it's not the majority of the game. It's just a moment or two. And those are, I mean, I would imagine those are moments that really instill a level of like trust in the manager. It's like what I had to execute that moment that we talked about a week ago today in a match, and now the next time maybe the message gets in just a little bit deeper, that the trust builds a little bit harder, you know? So maybe it's more intricate skills or more intricate, uh, you know, patterns of play that now the coach can maybe get into a little bit more. I know we had we had Mal Pugh on 
and I had a conversation with her about like, she just was like, I need to be pushed a ton and I need to be able to trust my coaches enough to push me well enough. I mean, is that something that you find for your personality or is that maybe just a, another way of doing it? No, absolutely. I think, I definitely think, like you said, it's a, there's a huge uh, trust that's forged because one, um, we as players gain trust when we see that what we're working on is something that occurs in the game. And then there's also the, the trust and the feeling that like we're being properly prepared for those moments. And whether we execute them perfectly or not, there's the understanding of, and the recognition that, oh, that was the moment. I did it well, like you taught me, Vlaco, or oh, that was the moment, shoot, I messed it up again. Let's go back to training and work on it again. So I feel that, um, especially as a, a newer uh, person and as a center back, um, I feel extremely supported and a lot of trust in Vlaco that one, nothing is, is going unwatched or unnoticed. If I make a mistake, if I take a wrong step, if I take a bad touch, like he's seeing it, which is fine. And I want that as a player, but not so that he can be like, what was that? Like, that was terrible, but so that we can look and say, okay, so like this happened two times in the game and you did it wrong. Let's work on it. And now it won't happen again. So yeah, it's that aspect of, um, it's the trust, the two way trust that, uh, there's the acknowledgement of like why we're doing what we're doing and that it, the idea is to, you know, make us better as players. So then we can do it the way the coach wants and, and not uh, cause him too much stress on the sideline, especially as defenders. Oh, that's gotta be, I mean, that's huge. It, how, how much like so when you're making what is your like self-reflection process like so you talked about you know maybe I, those two times i get it right eight out of ten but the two were in a match at the weekend what is what is the self-reflection process like for you at the end of that game i mean do you write stuff down do you sit and watch a match do you look at like how do you analyze and kind of internalize those moments yeah, for me, it's always been um, it's been hard to find the balance because like a lot of players, you know, I'm, I'm very hard on myself and I care so deeply about what I do. So I want, obviously, to use the game to get better and to be critical. But at the same time, I got to remind myself to take it easy on myself a little because it's easy to point out every mistake and go through and watch again. And um, It's funny because I, I think that. Um, you know, we talk about this often is that sometimes you'll feel like, oh, I played a pretty good game. Like that was okay or, or good. And then you watch it back and you notice like all these mistakes that you kind of forgot about because in the flow of the game, the feeling was good, the team did well. And then it's like, oh shoot, maybe it wasn't that good. I gave away the ball here, I did this, I did that. Or then vice versa, it's funny because you'll feel like, wow, that game was rough. Like you remember a few mistakes or whatever. And then you watch either as a group or an individual and you're like, oh, it actually wasn't as bad as we thought. So often it, video and, and analyzing can be kind of dangerous or misleading at times, but it can also be extremely helpful. So it's like using it in the helpful way without allowing it to change the, the feeling and the instincts you have during the game. And for me personally, uh, as a midfielder, it's easier to be forgiving because usually a mistake you make, maybe you give away the ball or you like miss a, a shot you should have made or something, but like it's not make or break for the team in the attack usually. Um, whereas a defender, you make one mistake and it's on all the highlight reels for the other team. Like there's one I remember uh, that plagues me. It was like Kristen Press like turned me, cut 
cut me so bad. I was like, I looked like it was terrible individual defending. And then she bent it around. Um, Barney was in goal and she like bent it up or not. I mean, it was a great finish and like really well done by her. <laughs> so obviously it's on all these like best goals ever uh, highlight things. And of course I'm the defender being like, oh my gosh, of course it had to be me in there making a fool of myself. So I absolutely do remember those few moments, especially as a defender that were like bad mistakes. But at the same time, uh, I try to kind of take the bigger picture into, into account and know that, okay, yeah, that was a mistake, but like, again, some of the best forwards in the world, that could happen to anyone. So definitely want to do better next time, but not to feel so down or terrible about myself because of it. And that's, I mean, I'm sure you have a few uh, clips out there in the YouTube world of uh, you making somebody else look a little foolish as well. So I'm sure the universe is balanced out a bit. Uh, I, I would imagine yeah, at least. As a defender, they're all like skewing the other way. So I can get <laughs> out there on the field and fix this imbalance. <laughs> I mean, talk that, I mean, that's a high emotional, like it's a high emotional piece, you know, it's like, like, did you always have that? ability to kind of like self-correct and go well hey i'm maybe getting a little too down on myself i'm being a little too negative and i need to turn the dial back to like where is center in my play and my ability and my effort and my performances or like was that something over time as becoming a professional that you kind of developed i guess i asked for kind of maybe coaches and younger players out there who you know, there's a lot of players out there who do that. They just, they can't, they see something bad and then they can't pick themselves up off the mat. And that clearly obviously hurts the team. It hurts, you know, performance and you can go down a negative road. How did you develop that skill? Well, I, I really think it hugely depends on the individual's uh, current mindset and situation and also the, the team situation having to do with individual. So I've been in personally a lot of, uh, situations even as a pro player and a mature pro player where I didn't feel that I was in a place to properly receive feedback like I was my confidence was down I didn't have a necessarily a good trusting relationship with the coach so if they showed me a video clip that was a mistake yeah I know I made a mistake but like I would like a solution or a way to, to make it better so to just watch a mistake is not helpful video and so I've had coaches on a, a wide range of the spectrum from being like in my opinion showing detrimental video to some that just like wasn't that useful to some and I put Vlaco like high up in this category that show very very helpful video even if it's a little hard to watch or makes you feel like a little sensitive about it because you made a mistake it's so much a teaching moment and he gives like a, a solution um, like a very doable solution too. So I know like if I'm in that moment again, okay, remember, like, don't do it this way. Take the step here, do it, whatever it is that the, the um, feedback is. Uh, so, and also I would say that at this point, I'm much more personally, much more able to receive that type of feedback because I know that Black Coat trusts and respects me as a player. So I've played for coaches that I didn't feel had that trust and respect for me. So I wasn't in a place to receive that feedback and I needed to take it way easier on myself. And I knew that about myself. Like sometimes I wouldn't even rewatch the games because I couldn't handle it. Um, and I, I just was in like a bad mental space. So I think, and that's hard as a, a young player. I think at a certain age, before a certain point, I think video, unless you're having somebody really cut clips who's like very, very good at it and gonna share it in, an, in the appropriate way, before, you know, even, even I'd say before college age, 
unless you're on like the youth national team level or something, I don't think most youth players really need to be watching video clips. On occasion, it can be helpful to rewatch and see what it looks like in general, but that's a very pointed and specific way to analyze your performance that can be detrimental if it's not done properly. So I definitely think it has to do with your relationship with the coach and who's showing the video and how you feel about yourself in general at that time frame as a player. Um, because if you feel good about yourself and your performances have been good and you're confident, you can take some of that criticism and feedback and watch mistakes. And it means something different than if you're really struggling and then you're just adding on to that by watching mistakes. That's not helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an important topic, I think, because especially as the development goes, you know, the more this league builds means the more like kind of NWSL team academies then start to attach and you're getting, you know, the new U.S. soccer DA and I think that's a lot of what starts to happen in those environments now, right? Is you're building them more towards being like professional environments. So now it's you're training every day or you're training on recovery schedules and GPS and all these things included in that is some level of analysis of individual performances. And so it's, I mean, it's an important thing because we're giving, you know, players as young as 13 sometimes that level of intricate feedback. Yeah, and I think all of that is good to have. I personally am of the opinion that like data and feedback isn't helpful just for the sake of having data and feedback. I think if it's done properly, it can be extremely useful to prevent injury, to make improvement to players' games. But it's a dangerous road to go down if you have all the technology and maybe don't have the proper people analyzing it. So I've found that the analysis of all that is everything. Um, having the tools to gather it is great. And, and like you said, now a lot of more, a lot more people have access to that. Like even video, like no one could take video when I was growing up playing. When you have like, when you have an old, a old camcorder with a VHS, you'd have to rewind a million times. Like it would just be impossible. But now because everyone can do it, it's out there. Um, personally, I don't think it should always be used, but it's hard to, to know, you know, when and where and, um, and how to properly use that before the college and professional level, where I think that's when you can, you know, you can assure that you have a, a full staff who's, you know, dedicated and experts in doing those kind of things. And it's done really well. Yeah, those are, I mean, it's, it's just one of the, like the development string all the way up to pro is, it seems to have just started earlier now. And so we're, we're looking at, you know, whether, in a digital age, everything's on YouTube and, you know, even a lot of these players just have a lot of their trying to get into colleges or what, like, there's just so much video of a bulk of these players out there right now that is uh, causing maybe people to grow up in a, in a better way on the field, which is good, but maybe also developmentally for them socially or for them, you know, for the other aspects of their lives, maybe it's, you know, putting a bit too much pressure on. And so I kind of see, see where your point is in that. And so it's just, just an interesting, I guess, topic to, to explore. Yeah. And realistically, if you think about it, like if you look at the club level players, even if they're at the highest level of club, not everybody wants or, or needs that kind of critique. Like, yeah, I'm sure everybody wants to get better and wants a team to do well, but maybe you have, you know, the top third of your team that's super ambitious and will actually, you know, take it to heart and really wants that. And I would say for everyone else, it may not even be appropriate because a lot of players still are just participating to be part of the team and to play at a high level. And yeah, maybe they want to go to college. But when you're talking about analyzing video and GPS data and stuff, you're talking about 
fixing and fine tuning the top one, two percent of what you're doing. And most of those players need to focus on the 98 percent, <laughs> actually mastering the basics of the technique, understanding really basic tactics. And when we're talking about video analysis, this is it's slowing down something that's happened so quickly that really like you're talking about the professional level, the difference between one or two steps um, or like a split second moment decision that uh, can make or break the game. Most of the time in youth soccer, it's not getting down to the, that kind of minutia. It's like one team is either clearly better or there are many more things that players need to be working on besides like a step here or there. It's like the general athleticism, yeah. the general um, capabilities need to, should be what's, what the focus is, I think, in most cases. Yeah, it's not... There's, there aren't a ton of, you know, bending balls that Kristen Press like players, you know, at age 15 that they're a half a faint away from, you know, bending one top top 90 against one of the best goalkeepers in the world. You know, it's one of those like so exactly. definitely keeping the main thing. The main thing is one. I mean, just for me personally, is a massive thing as a coach is like, what is the main thing here? Sometimes at a super elite level, it is the, the 5 percent margin or whatever it might be, one or 2 percent at the professional level. But. Maybe it's you know larger grasp you know grasping larger tactics, larger uh, understanding concepts. So, but part of that is like, and, and I'll just kind of segue a little bit is like, I mean, you are uh, part of why I like talking about it is, is getting to the development stage because the technique football just really does kind of help in the like that's a big concept thing, right? Is like building major content like can you be good rounded like you were talking about Vico before is like can you create a total soccer player who could do each of the things that are demanded of them in a match yeah and my whole feeling on that and the whole idea behind technique football and like all the training I do on my own and what I do uh when I work with youth players uh individually or in small groups is like the the coach doesn't need to help with that realistically that's on the players to uh, make sure they have the skill set. So like, yeah, if a center back finds himself on the upper right of the field, upper left, whatever it is, they should be able to send in a good cross with either of those feet, a nice uh, a nice ball, depending on the scenario, whether it's bent, whether it's on the ground, uh, cut back, a driven cut back, a, a driven ball in the air, whatever it is. Like those are the tools that the coach at a certain age, like shouldn't be having to work with the players on though that's on the players to spend the time on their own to develop those skills and get the repetition outside of tr team training because even in a session if you're working on crossing and finishing if you as a player get to do 12 crosses that's a ton like you, you probably don't even get that in a team session but really every week if your player is going to be in a position to cross the ball you need to be doing 40 50 60 100 crosses to get you know get that consistency so my big thing is like taking um, that that shouldn't be time wasted in team sessions players on their own can develop all those skills so that when they're in the team sessions and they understand the tactics and they're in the right position and then they need to put the ball wherever it needs to go or bring the ball under control however it comes to them that's the no-brainer that's already been covered so I think um, for me that's like the bulk of the basics that need to be accomplished and learned and um, that that trend, type of training never stops. It's not like that's all on the youth players. So once you get to the pro level, you're you're good. Even pro players need to spend time after training doing those extra reps and stuff. But that shouldn't be during the team time. The, I mean that then just circles back into those functional sessions we were talking. You know, it makes those functional sessions 
frankly, more efficient, right? Like you're not having to break down onto a technique when you are trying to get a group of players to execute a skill that requires, you know, maybe speed or pace or timing. Like it's, it's all the, are you putting backspin on the ball? Is there texture that's, you know, moving into the path or away? So all those things in order to actually make the functional training session fly makes it much more difficult. I think when you're playing free flowing, 11 v 11 or whatever, maybe there's other moments for you to make bigger mistakes. Maybe you have a little bit more space, a little bit more time to be able to not have that come out, especially in a youth training uh, or a youth setting. But at the, in a functional environment, it's on to like, we're trying to score the goal every time, or we're trying to make sure that we're getting the block every time. We're trying to make sure that our shape is appropriate. So, I mean, all those things lead into <laughs> kind of making efficient training sessions. No, 100%. And that's kind of what I share with uh, with players to put things in perspective a little is like the stuff you do on your own is so that when you're in training, that's kind of like your test on how many times out of 10 you can execute it. So realistically, if you think about it, if you're totally on your own with no pressure and you're practicing a bent, like a, a bent pass that's a little bit in the air, maybe something like an outside back would do like up the line to a, to a forward, maybe into the corner. I'm just imagining a, a fake scenario. So on your own, you need to have mastered the technique to bend and play that ball, like under no pressure, under no time constraints. If you can't do it at all, you're never gonna be able to do it in the game. So then if in training now, Vlatko introduces a functional drill, which we've actually done as something in mind, like a specific thing he has us do where he is like playing a fake ball uh, kind of down the line that we as a defender need to cut off before it gets to a mannequin. So you're like trying to, to sprint and cut off this through pass and take a touch towards the sideline and then play this bent ball uh, up to your forward. So it's two part. You're sprinting all out to like intercept the pass or a block something. Then you're asked to take a, a good touch and play, play a ball, which you need the technique for. So for me, when I break it down to a player, I say, you practice that technique so that in training, that's like your test time of like, okay, so if you get to do six reps of that in training, how many of the six and you do well because you've practiced on your own. Same thing with a finishing drill. Like if that finishing, if you're do, doing a, a basic uh, far post driven finish, in training should be the time when you're testing, like, okay, I'm gonna maybe do eight to 10 of these. Like how well can I get them all perfectly because, perfect because I did them on my own and I know I have, you know, I have this capability. So then from that functional training, you're practicing that so that the literally the one opportunity you have in the game under pressure in a professional match, especially the, literally the one time, can you execute that one? So if you can't do it 10 out of 10 times in practice in a functional session when there's no fans, no defenders, anything, like the chance of you doing it the one time under full pressure in a game is pretty little. So it's basically like you're building this foundation of a pyramid so that you do on your own 100 repetitions. So that when you go to practice, how many then can you do out of 10? Hopefully eventually get to the point where you can do 10 out of 10 in kind of a functional environment at practice in front of your coach. So that that way when you have your one in the game or like sometimes we're literally practicing something that you will do one time in a season, which is crazy to think, is like you have to be able to do it 100 times out of 100 on your own to be able to do it once in a, in a season under pressure. Um, so that's kind of like the way I try to put it into perspective for players is you're building this base so that then as the pressure increases and as the scenario gets uh, more and more important, you're, you have it in your capability to do it right when it matters. Yeah, I mean, that's that just kind of goes to the just fish lock. You know, like if that's our first goal 
this season. It's I'm sure her repetitions and scoring goals are not haven't been zero up until that moment. But it's a massive goal and a massive game where you really need to be getting three points and securing like that's huge. And if it's the only goal she scores all year, you know we're, we're hoping not just because we we love to watch you know <laughs> Fishalog perform. But if that's the only goal she scores all year. I mean, it's a well, I mean, that's a massive, massive goal for a massive three points versus a team that's kind of nipping at your heels. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's worth uh, whatever hundred repetitions <laughs> it took that to pay off, like you said, even if it, that's the one time it happens all season, that's so worth it. Absolutely. It's, it's coming down to the kind of the wire here. I mean, are you... Give me whether... Are, are you guys in the kind of coaching cliche one game at a time? Or are you focusing, you know, like you have matches, like or do you look at the table and say, hey, we've got to do X much and X amount of time, otherwise this is how we work? Or are you just really into like, no, we have Chicago next and that's going to be it? Uh, yeah, I mean, we always say one game at a time because you have to focus on the next game or else nothing matters really. But there's always the awareness of like, you know, we have to – when I don't even know what the breakdown is. It gets to a certain breakdown where it's like we have to get X number of points in this many games and then it gets clarified. But really, I think um, you try as much as possible to really do that, not even just the next game, but like the one day at a time. So now the team's focus is like, okay, we got a game Wednesday, we got to recover. So it's literally broken down to that, like that small of time period. So yeah, you have now the thought process is very quickly, okay, celebrate the win great now uh game wednesday but even before thinking about the game wednesday or any future games there's like okay uh travel day the team is traveling back today tomorrow everything to get your body back recovered back into training focusing on the details and you're into the next game which is um it's good that the season is kind of you know short and condensed because there's not that much time to think about like future games but there's always the awareness of like even the beginning of the season uh flacco usually breaks down like every quarter so every i think it would be six games i, I forget the exact number of games in the season this time but 24 yeah. yeah so yeah so every six games we need to have x number of points to statist- statistically make playoffs so you kind of start you, you have the general idea of like we need x number of points out of how many games but at the same time you can't focus on any more than the one coming up so it's kind of it's kind of good mentally that they're so they happen so quickly <laughs> Well, if you if you you know indulge me a little bit, just so Wednesday, quick turnaround to play Chicago at home. You've got three home games coming up. How nice is that? Uh, three to finish up the last four at home. I mean, that's got to feel like I mean, just from the rest and recovery and body and mind and soul, spirit, whatever you want to say, like that's got to be super helpful. Yeah, well, I mean, I love it because I get to be at them and watch. <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, I think that's excellent. And then the one away game we have in our last game is at Portland. So that's yeah. like, yep. no matter what, just the adrenaline and the, the excitement surrounding that is great. So I think everything is, you know, everything is set up to be ideal for the end of the season. But Vlaco was saying the other day, and it always works out like this, is like, you cannot trust that any results outside of what we do are going to go in our favor. So you always have to expect that like, <laughs> Everything that happens, like the teams that are close on our heels are like, they're going to win all their games. And every time we need a team to beat someone or tie, they're never going to do it. So so I think the expectation is always like, we got to do 
everything in our power because no one's going to do us any favors. Um, and it's like, we kind of joke about it, but it always does turn out like that. You know, when you desperately need another team to win, they like never do it. Yeah, no, <laughs> so I think, no. yeah, we're set up, we're set up for a good situation, but we got to get it done. I mean, if you don't, in this league, home advantage is great, but if you don't perform well, it means nothing. Yeah, they, it's, I mean, that's not a, it's not an easy slate, obviously, with Houston being so, you know, they've just been on a resurgence in some of the trades. North Carolina is obviously just North Carolina, and that's going to be the, kind of the one to beat, but I'm always, I'm always excited about a Cascadia game, you know, that's the, uh, I, I lived in Portland for a little while, so I, I, oh, I yeah, always, you, you got the full picture of it. Then. Yeah, oh yeah, plenty of, uh, actually a number of games, you know, in Providence versus Seattle with the whole, the whole thing, so yep. I, I think it's uh, back, that was back when uh, Sydney LaRue was playing in Seattle. Oh, okay. Yeah, remember yeah that's a, a throwback. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, so it's like, but that's, I tell you, that's how long I've been watching. The, you know, I've been been around watching the league since the beginning, sort of a thing. So, but those are always the favorite games. I don't think that there's a more more favorite game than a Portland Seattle game out there. So, good luck to you guys. Hopefully, uh, you know, it looks like it's going to go well. You know, you're you're assuming the worst, I, I guess. But you know, from our perspective, looks like it's flying high for Seattle Rain. Oh yeah. Well, no, we're we're assuming the best for ourselves. Just <laughs> assuming else there you go. Have. There you go. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I you know I. I felt really um, proud and impressed by the team's progress. It's been interesting for me watching from the outside and also having the insider perspective of like hearing the things that are talked about. But I think um, one thing that Vlaco's teams always do is get better throughout the season and probably still getting better as the season ends. So if the season was just longer, I think Vlaco's record would be even better. <laughs> but it's always just like it's proven itself again. I think his team's uh, continue to get better and just uh, it's just those small details that start to come together as the season you know winds down so I think everyone's in for a treat to continue to watch this rain team and just see how things continue to mesh. Uh, it's a scary proposition for the other eight teams in the league that Flat Coast teams only get better as the season exactly. wind, winds towards the end so I think everybody else is you know as they get tired Vlad goes only gearing up, so yeah. make sure, make sure to catch those last four games for Seattle, um, beginning with this Wednesday versus Chicago in Seattle. So thank you, Yael, for being with us again. We appreciate it so, so much. You're, you're amazing. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at ModernSoccerCoach.com.